the House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. It's time for a new episode of Capital Ideas, and this is a good one. They're all good, but so is this one. First, though, here's where I explain that Capital Ideas is the podcast where members of the majority Democrats in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol to talk about ideas. Today, we're going to hear from Representative Mike Chapman. Mike represents the 24th District, which comprises most of the Olympic Peninsula and includes Ocean Shores, Nia Bay, Forks, Squim, Port Townsend, Port Angeles, Olympic National Park, and some of the best razor-clamming beaches in the world. Mike lives in Port Angeles, where he served four terms as a Clallam County Commissioner before joining the House in 2017. In Olympia, he chairs the House Rural Development, Agriculture, and Natural Resources Committee, and he sits on the Transportation Committee as well. We talked via Zoom on Tuesday, March 15th, 2022, and here's that conversation. I'm talking with Representative Mike Chapman from the 24th Legislative District, and Mike, I appreciate you stopping by Capital Ideas. Uh, You bet. Glad to be here, Dan. You just completed a 60-day session. This one was pretty intense for a lot of reasons. What's your take on the session that you just completed? Well, again, thanks uh, thanks for inviting me, and thanks for the question, and you're right. We're trying to govern a complicated, ever-changing society. And this session, much like the short session of 2020, both times when we showed up in early January, the world looked a lot different than when we ended it. And in 2020, of course, the COVID uh, you know, virus was, was when we first showed up, it was just kind of this little thing we were hearing about. By the time we signed, he died after 60 days. I mean, it, Washington was kind of ground zero of COVID. And four days later, I believe the governor had to put the state in lockdown. I'd say this session in January, when we first showed up, the world looked a lot different than it looks today with the outbreak of war, the rising commodity prices, the rising price of gas, the rising cost of living, which are now hit a historical level. So it shows that the legislature is being asked to do what I call kind of the impossible job, which is to govern a modern society, a modern state, a growing state only during the winter months. And then we basically leave. And last year was an example where when we left after last year's session, we had more snowpack in the mountains than ever before. And by August, I had to convene with Senator Warnick, the drought committee. So, you know, we're we're doing our best. This is a holdover. You know, the farmers would come in and govern and then they would leave. But I don't think the world, the world changes on a dime now. And I, I'm curious to see how the rest of 2022 will go I guarantee you the issues that maybe we thought were the most important during the session by October, November of this year may not be the issues that are as important to people I represent. The point you make here is that out of every two years, the legislature sits for 165 days total out of two years, which two years is going to be, what, 700 and some odd days. Do you feel like there needs to be an adjustment in that system? 
personally, I do. I realize it would change the constitution and I realize probably that wouldn't fly. I, I imagine the voters generally aren't, look, they're probably glad when we're not in session. But conversely, they're also frustrated that we've left that the governor himself has a lot of emergency powers and a lot of authority. And I've heard from a lot of constituents that have real concerns as to what's the legislative role. Well, our role is oftentimes in a year like this, we had a two month role and then we basically are done. I mean, we, you know, unless we're called into a special session, there's not much I as an individual legislator can do. And there's certainly not much the legislature will be able to act on until next January. And as we see, I think society is is just different than it has been. And I do think that, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the issues that we see as the crisis of, the, of today won't be what we're talking about next January. So we have 10 months between now and then. Now we set a budget, we set the policies, we let the state bureaucracy kind of implement that. We let the executive branch implement that. Look, I think, you know, people blame Congress. They don't get much done. But what they do do is they take a break. They go back to their district. My congressman, Congressman Kilmer, I believe he's, you know, a lot of the listeners will know who he is. You know, he comes, he spends two, three weeks in the district, then he goes back to D.C. and then they work on their legislation. They don't have the long breaks and they're able to they're able to address issues. I mean, they're they're now debating, you know, uh, and passed, you know, legislation to help out with the Ukraine effort. They're going to be looking at inflation, maybe lowering the national gas tax. So they're able to deal with the issues as they come up where we we really are a part time legislature. And in that, we are limited in how much we can actually help the citizens, in my mind. Well, you mentioned that this system dates back to an agrarian economy. In part, Washington still has an agrarian economy. Certainly, there's high tech, there's manufacturing, but a whole lot of the Washington state economy springs from the agricultural industry. And you are the chair of the Rural Development, Agriculture, and Natural Resources Committee. How would you rate your work on that committee during the past 60 days? What makes chairing the committee that I chair so rewarding is that unlike a lot of committees where maybe the issues kind of break down on partisan lines, we probably pass more bipartisan legislation out of that committee uh, routinely, session after session. This year, for sure, we heard more Republican bills than we did Democratic-sponsored bills because the, because most of our Republican friends are from the rural areas and from farm and timber country. I also am from that area. It is a committee where if you have a good idea, whether Republican or Democrat, everybody's going to give it a fair hearing. And generally, we're passing out of committee legislation you know, virtually unanimously, if not unanimously. And I do have members from the I-5 corridor on the committee who are voting for rural agriculture or rural natural resource-based bills, they may have very limited knowledge, but they dig into it. They look at it and they're like, this is a good policy. So I think there's a real collegial effort. I I give a lot of credit to the ranking member, Representative Chandler from Yakima. You know, he and the vice ranking member, Representative Dent. I mean, we we talk a lot and in the virtual world, you know, it was was by, by phone. Representative Chandler actually called me yesterday just to kind of check in post-session, thank me for the work as chair. I thank Tim. I mean, it's, there's a friendship that's developed. And now, you know, I do kind of equate politics as a little bit like the old cartoon of the sheepdog and the coyote, where they shake hands, then they go to work, beat each other up, and then they shake hands. So we, you know, we, we don't beat each other up in the legislature, but, you know, during the, during, during other times of the year, you know, there might be some, some 
you know, the partisanship comes back. But I, I work really hard not to be partisan in that committee. And it's got a longstanding history. We've had some great chairs of that committee. One bill I noticed that you sponsored yourself and that passed this year, and by the time we talk, it might have been signed into law, was House Bill 1626 to authorize electronic licensing for hunting and fishing licenses. This seems to me to be a pretty important bill because so many of the people who hunt and fish might not be anywhere near certainly a licensing office or a Walmart or wherever they want to get their license. What's going to change because of this bill? I'm holding up my phone. You can't see it. But I mean, you know, our whole world now kind of runs around the smartphone and, and you know, we bank, we, we, we do everything. Our, my, my car insurance is loaded on my, you know, insurance cards loaded on here, my vaccination card. The bill now sets up, a gives authority. So with Fish and Wildlife, the statute, the old statute says Fish and Wildlife is going to issue paper hunting and fishing licenses. So this now allows the department to issue those licenses that can be issued electronically. And so for, for, for constituents to say, you know, I want to go fishing this weekend. Oh, I don't have my license. Oh, I can just order it. I can just, you know, get it online, store it on my phone. It's part of the modernization of fish and wildlife. They've also done some great, you know, they're trying to get the maps updated. We're trying. So the idea would be, you know, an app where you say, I want to go fishing in this area. What are the rules? Here's the rules. Here's the, here's what you can catch. Here's, here's the, here's the, you know, restrictions. Oh, and you need this license. Boom, order it. You're ready to go. And same with hunting. You know, where where can I go for a for maybe a spring bear hunt? Well, here's the areas. Here's the tag you need. Boom, order it. Pay for it. And then and then the map and the rules are right there that you can you know and then you store them so you can access it offline. I'm hearing from folks that people are really liking that, and it just seemed like the next step was just just have your license there too. The other thing too is. Not everybody, we're not even carrying wallets anymore. I mean, how many times do you just take your phone and go and just to modernize it, but also the Discover Pass, you can now order online and get it stored on your phone and, and until you print one out at home if you want. But yeah, I think, you know, I think, you know, it's part of modernization of a modern society. I want to veer off here for a minute and talk about Washington Cares. You co-sponsored legislation this year to improve Washington Cares, which is the long-term care program that was instituted uh, in, here in Washington, first in the nation, I believe. Did it work? Are we going to see an improved Washington Cares? We did have to make some changes this year to shore it up financially and to give businesses an, another year to kind of implement the collection of the tax. It is clear this is going to save taxpayer dollars down the road. And so we're trying to create kind of an ownership society, which I think it used to be that many of my friends on the other side of the aisle kind of believed in, you know, an ownership. And this is a program that's going to go follow you from job to job to job. And then it's going to be there. The other plan is the plan we have now, which is everybody just kind of bumps along in life. And maybe when they're 65 or 68 or 75 and their health starts failing, they look up and say, ooh, what's going to happen when I can no longer be in my home? And they're not really, maybe they bought a long-term care private, but it's, they're going to find it doesn't have much coverage. So I think that the idea is once this is implemented, as people work along in their career, they're going to be grateful that that program is going to be there. The great emphasis is still going to be to keep people in their home. That is still the cheapest, most cost-effective, 
and we've proven it's the healthiest, both mental health and physical health, the longer. And I have an example of two uh, two in-laws that both were able to, you know, stay in their home until their until their days were done, and they were still sharp mentally. They did not fade. And I've had other relatives who were in care homes, and you go and visit them, and they're in, you know, it's sad. They're just not the person they once were. I had a very lucid conversation the day before my father-in-law at 93 uh, finally passed away from pneumonia. And we had a very in-depth conversation about business and politics. And it was a great, uh, it's a conversation I'll remember, you know, the rest of my life. And I've had other relatives, a grandfather specifically at the, at the, who died in a care home. And, you know, the last six months, he barely, we barely had any conversation. So the idea would be we've shorted up financially, and this is an ownership, you're going to have this benefit, but it's to keep people in their home. It is not intended to warehouse. And I think there was some concern from some quarters that this is, well, you're just going to start warehousing us. No, when nobody wants, it's, it's so weird what people think in politics, what, polit, you know, what politicians really want to do. We don't want to warehouse our constituents. First of all, it's, you know, $125,000 a year or more. And Number two, it's it's just not what it's not what we think about. So, anyway, it should be it's a good program, and I, I represent by median age the oldest legislative district in the state. So I do have a lot of constituents that were concerned who are still working, but they're like, you know, I'm only a couple of years away from retirement. This may not benefit me, and we're gonna, you know, we figured out a way to let them to be exempt. We had a lot of retired military who also may be working part-time, but they're like, I already have some military benefits. So we did clean that up. But for the average worker, I believe as they move along and they begin to accrue that benefit and knowing they can go from job to job. And that's what we want. We want people to have the flexibility to take this program with them. I think it's a good idea. And I think, I think in 20 years, we'll look back and say, wow, that was a really smart idea. Let's jump back towards the other end of life now and talk about something that mostly is going to affect younger people, but not exclusively, and that is the the incredibly high cost of higher education, and the legislature addressed that this year with a pretty significant new program. Yeah, we've addressed the cost of uh, higher education in a, couple, in a couple of programs. A couple of years ago, we really... We set up a, a, a scholar, you know, in essence, it's grants and scholarships. If you come from a family making less than the, uh, 55, 58,000 a year, you make less than 55, 58, you're, you're basically your two years of college, your, your first two years at a community college, you're going to be paid for. Now we set up, if you want to go on and get further education, we know that student loans are such a drag and they're such a drain and, and the interest rate is way too high and Congress won't lower the interest rate. And I think uh, through the leadership of uh, Representative Sullivan, but I think a lot of us have been looking at what could we do to lower the cost if someone does have to take out a student loan, say they do want to go on and get a four-year degree, or they want to become a, do you know, a doctor, they want to give back to society. And so there's going to be a low interest state loan program, not putting taxpayer dollars at risk, not still as an interest rate, so there's still a return. Uh, but we think that this will, will really spur and, and make it a, a college affordable for all. And that's what we're really trying to work because we need an educated workforce in this. You know, we're, Washington is, is one of the edu most educated states, but we have so many demands. And now you look at the workforce shortage and you look at the areas where, you know, we're, we're, we're not filling all the jobs and so many of them need to be technical. It's not just book learning. We want technical education. 
to be affordable as well. So this is a great program. And again, it will help a district like mine where a lot of the students that come out of the Port Angeles High School, Port Townsend High School, you know, or Forks High School or Hoquiam High School, or they may not have the money saved by their families to go to the University of Washington and now they'll have access to, I think it's a percent and a half of interest and then plenty of grants too. And expanding the University of Washington or Washington State University School of Medicine where students that agree they wanna serve the rural areas now can get help. And we have a doctor's clinic, the local hospital that is also doing tuition reimbursement for the jobs that they need to be filled. Apparently there's a lack of surgical assistance. If you wanna become a surgical assistant, the local hospital will, if they commit to you, they'll pay for your schooling. So um, there's a lot of, it's a lot of public private partnership in the education of the next generation workforce, which we need because if COVID showed anything, it really, you know, the great resignation has left gigantic holes in our workforce. And there's there's work everywhere right now, if you're, you know, everywhere. In addition to chairing the committee that you run, you also are a member of the Transportation Committee. And the 24th District came away looking pretty good with this year's transportation package. It did. And we have some great partners up here. It's not just the work of uh, myself and my seatmates. We had a couple of transportation projects where tribal leaders really stepped up. And, and my district includes six federally recognized tribes. And so tribal leaders and stepping up and saying, we need these inf infrastructure investments. And they do that in a lot of areas. And so I give a lot of credit to our tribal partners. We've got good public infrastructure investments. We're lucky. My seatmate in the House, Representative Theringer, chairs the state capital budget. So both in transportation and in the capital arena, a district like ours, uh, you know, we, we get some pretty good attention, you know, as part of being part of the team and working well with your colleagues. You know, in my case, I worked with Representative Fi, the chair of transportation in the House. Now, stroke of luck, stroke of genius, I don't know, but I let everybody know the chair of the transportation committee grew up in Port Angeles and is a Port Angeles High School graduate, which is right in the middle of the 24th legislative district. So when I let him know, hey, this is a really important project to the district, and we have one corridor between Squim and Blinn where the Jamestown tribe is, you know, I didn't have to show him on a map. I didn't have to schedule him for a meeting. I mean, he knows, and he's actually helped on three safety projects up here that I've gone to him and said, you know, this part of the transportation, this is a, in one kind of brought tears to, to my eyes. I mean, we had one one safety project that was just completed. It's called through, through the Morse Creek dip and right outside of Port Angeles. And we had a number of fatality accidents in the last 10 years. But Representative Faya had a friend in high school who was involved in a serious accident on the same stretch of road. So here he was, newly appointed transportation chair. It was one of the first projects. He said, yeah, we're going to fix that. Been very fortunate that I've added two chairs before him, Representative Cliburn from Mercer Island, who also had a connection to the North Olympic Peninsula and had been out here. And so in both cases, both of them were support, have been supportive. I, I've secured three major and a dozen maybe minor transportation improvements out here because of the support of the chairs. Now, if I was a jerk, if I was not voting for the issues that were important to the chairs, you know, maybe maybe that wouldn't be the case. So it's, it's collaboration, it's teamwork, it's respect, and we're, I'm very grateful for the help that I get. It's how it works, and apparently you're working it very well. I watched a video that you made with your vice chair. I think you made this video a few months ago, and one of the comments you made struck me, which is you talked about the fact that you learn 
pretty much every day from the people that you work with and from the citizens that come before your committee. Talk about how this kind of learning can help you in your job as a state legislator. Yeah, that's a that's a great question and, and one that I, I wouldn't say I struggle with, but I think about it a lot. So before being a state representative, I was a county commissioner for 16 years. And I kind of equated, it's like getting a PhD in local government to serve that long at one level of government. And I feel like I'm getting my second PhD and now at the state level. And, 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 and when you work to get an advanced degree, for those who've done that, you don't know it all. You can't learn it all from books. You learn a lot from your professors and your colleague. You know, when I was a police officer, we, we went to the academy but then you were not a full journeyman police officer till you finished your field training. And the field training was, was you know, three months with three different senior officers. And then you had six more months of your probation. So you had three months of the learning at the academy, three months of field training with three different senior officers, then six months on your own. And then you were, as it were, as a journeyman, you know, off probation, a police officer. I think it's, it's, it's that lifelong learning, but certainly at the legislature, I have legislators who have been there since the mid nineties, you know, uh, former speaker of the house, Frank Chop. Well, every time I get a chance to talk to him, you know, he brings 25, 30, almost 30 years now of experience to my five or six at the most, right? One of the best ways, and we do this with new members, one of the best, one of the best ways to learn especially kind of build is in the was I was on the whip team a junior whip team is you know you go and talk to members and just kind of get their feeling on why they're you know what are what are they you know are you going to vote yes or no on these bills what was interesting is I would often kind of pause and sometimes I'd even ask them well can you tell me why and they would tell you so I could learn kind of what people were thinking and the more you can listen in this job, I think the more effective you can be, both your constituents and the members you work with. If you pulled any of the video of my hearings as chair, I think you'd be surprised at how little I actually talk as the chair during the hearing. I actually outsourced the actual running of the hearing to the vice chair. I'm deferential to every, I let every member ask all the questions they want. I generally almost have never had to cut anybody off on testimony. And when we get time to vote for bills, I will let members speak for, if it's one that we got members for and against, I let them have all the say that they want. Generally, when it comes down to my final comments as the chair, I'm just, you know, I'll usually say, well, at this point, you know, I'm gonna move this bill forward and ask for a yes vote. I don't influence votes. I think that that's part of being a good member and a good listener and a good leader. I kind of view as the committee's in a river and you're kind of bouncing along and there's the shoreline to the left and the shoreline to the right and the and you're maybe you're on a small little raft and 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 the more the raft stays in the middle of the river for committee work the happier I am when it bumps up too far to the left and the right side's like hey we're over here and if it bumps too far to the right then the left side and my job is really just to do small little course corrections and let the committee kind of take the legislation where it's going to go. And sometimes it'll be where it's, it's unanimous. We don't want to move that bill. And I'm just as happy with that. Or it's unanimous, we do. And, and that's a light touch. If you've ever been with a good experienced canoer or kayaker or rafter, I mean, they not, they're not jerking it back and forth, right? It's they're, they're guiding through, they're following the current and kind of guiding it through, but they don't want to crash into the rocks left or right. Which is interesting because here on a podcast, I've done most of the talking. Well, 
People don't tune into these to listen to me. So I'm really glad you've done most of the talking. And we have now talked long enough that uh, our time is about up. I know you've got other things you need to move on to. I want to close here and just give you a chance to talk about what your priorities are for the coming year. Yeah, I'll take a, a maybe a, a 30,000 foot approach to that question just to wrap up. You know, for folks that are listening, don't, don't buy into the cynicism and don't buy into the sound bites of, about government. Uh, I think in the legislature, you know, you're wor I'm working with some of the finest men and women who are dedicated to public service, may have different views on the issues, but at the end of the day, you know, they're trying to represent the 170, 75,000 people to the best of their ability. And I also have to remind people in my party that members in the other party were, rep were elected by their district and their district may be a little different, but don't be cynical about government. Government can still work, especially can work at the local and state level. I know we get frustrated with Congress. Uh, I do also believe there are members in Congress and including, you know, I have great respect for my own Congressman, Congressman Derek Kilmer, who really does work, try to work in a bipartisan way. But, but folks, stay involved, you know, support people you like, but let's not lose our democracy. Let's not lose what has made our country so great, so strong, which is a competition of ideas, both at the ballot box, but also in the legislature or in the halls of Congress or in the city hall and stay involved. But, but also just know everybody always thinks, you know, politicians are corrupt or you're just out for yourself. You know, there's a lot of better ways to be out for yourself than choosing this. <laughs> there's not a lot of, you know, out for yourself in this line of work. And the system will weed out those who aren't in it for the right reason. The system will weed out, especially I've noticed at the state level, and there may be some members that came along. I'm like, I'm not sure. And the next thing you know, they're gone. They're on to their next you know, issue, their next conquest or their next opportunity, as it were. I think those that once a member is stuck around five, six, seven, eight years, their edges have been kind of rubbed off, but you now know they're doing this for the right reason. Yeah, I don't want people, don't give up on this. This, What is it? You know, uh, it's a democracy if you can keep it. This is a great experiment we have, but it is still an experiment. And I see too many people wanting to tear down what we have as a system. Part of it is that cynicism to government. I hope a lot of people listen to this because I really appreciate what you've just said. We've been talking with Representative Mike Chapman from the 24th Legislative District. Mike's from up in Port Angeles, but he represents people from all over that huge peninsula. I appreciate your being here. Thanks a lot, Mike. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. You bet, Dan. Anytime. Thanks for scheduling this. My pleasure. There you have Representative Mike Chapman. If you feel like these were 20 minutes well spent and you haven't subscribed to Capital Ideas, you really should. It's available pretty much everywhere, including all the usual places. After all, this is your state government. The more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you and for the people you care about. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since way back in 1889. Thanks for your time. <music>